Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Steve Grosso, Bono and Eisen, Jeff Mills, and Nadine Turman. Tonight on Fast, break out your credit cards. We're going on a shopping spree. A bunch of big-name retailers reporting results next week. We're breaking down the four key names to keep on your shopping list, plus another big breakup. Johnson & Johnson splitting into two just days after GE announced it is headed for Splitsville. So what's driving all the breakups? Should you buy in? We'll find out. And later, cannabis stocks on fire. One of our our trader says next week could be a major moment of truth for this trade. We'll tell you why. But we kick things off this Friday with a question. Is this that you see there the most important chart in the market? Consumer sentiment taking a nosedive in November, falling to its lowest level in a decade. You heard that right. Sentiment is lower right now than it was during the depths of the pandemic. Inflation seems to be the culprit. The University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey showing one in four Americans are cutting back on their standard of living due to higher prices. So with stocks sitting near all-time highs, is the market ignoring some serious consumer concerns? Jeff Mills, what do you say? Uh, yeah, the market is definitely ignoring it. You know, we continue to push higher even though we get these readings. And I would say the most important chart is inflation because, as you said, that's really the derivation of all of these consumer concerns that we're having. But there, there's so much to try to figure out here. First of all, you have the Conference Board Consumer Sentiment Index or Consumer Confidence Index, and then you have the University of Michigan Sentiment Index. The Conference Board surveys 3,000 households, Uni- University of Michigan 500 households, So you get a little bit of a broader look from the conference board, and that really hasn't come down as much as University of Michigan. We'll get that in two weeks, so we'll see how things shake out there. But a lot of these confidence readings, too, they're they're at odds with retail sales data. They're at odds with millions of people quitting their jobs. So it's really hard to figure out exactly what's going on and what it means for the macro picture. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that as we sit as we sit here today, we're really at the peak of you know, inflation concerns, supply chain issues. Not that it's going to improve overnight, but I think incrementally the narrative is going to start to shift in that direction. I thought the news from Toyota was indicative of that. You're starting to see chip production in Taiwan increase a lot. The October delivery time for chips, it was the smallest gain that we saw in nine months. So cracks in the supply chain is hurting us narrative. Uh, Ocean freight rates coming down, trucking rates coming down, dwell days, so containers just sitting around, that's coming down. So these are all very early signs, but I think the market may be looking toward those areas versus focusing on some of this consumer confidence data. And you're seeing it in the market behavior, Mm -hmm. small cap stocks breaking out, uh, even pro-risk from Bitcoin, SPACs even a little bit better, things like that. So I think we're actually still setting up pretty good into the end of the year. Into the end of the year, sure. I mean, we're, we're in a period, Nadine, where, you know, for the first time, Americans are going to be spending the holidays together face to face. I don't think people are going to be holding back their credit cards or their wallets, you know, on gifts this particular year. But looking at, I mean, unless those inflation concerns abate, you could see a sharp pullback in spending um, when the calendar page turns. 
Well, I think you're right. I think Jeff makes a few good points here. That inflation, obviously, we're getting um, strong reads, but certain aspects of it are coming down. We're also talking about consumer confidence and sentiment. Um, obviously a little bit area concerned, but related to inflation. But what I thought was most important coming into the week is implied volatility premiums. And what are those? It's kind of like the cost of protection. What we saw is that people had a lot of protection on coming into the week. They were paying up for that protection. So we knew that maybe we'd get a three, three and a half percent downside um, versus upside. And that's what you saw, a really shallow early week decline but then people are back in because that's really, you know, people unwound some of that protection and that fuels the market back up. So we really look at what are those premiums being paid for protection and they're still on there. People are still short. So there could be room for a continued melt up here. Is that what you're seeing, Bonowin? In terms of implied volatility, I would, I would argue, I think it's actually coming in quite a bit. You see it in the VIX you see it in some of the uh, growth names as well. I, th- I think that's in line with what Nadine is getting at. Um, and what happens is, from a supply-demand standpoint, when people have this protection on, you know, you start to have some theta bleed. So you have some short-term holders that are going to be trading out of that, and, and they're going to have stops where they're going to have to let go of some stuff. And you have other people that are going to come in and scoop in when this uh, implied volatility comes off. Net-net, what I'm saying is that ultimately the, the VIX is back towards normalized type of levels. I mean, I think it still has room down to about 12, but a mid-teens here, this doesn't seem overblown to me. In terms of um, sentiment and, and what I'm taking from the market, I would be a little bit cautious in terms of reading too much into it until I see the real trade-through into consumer uh, spending habits. Keep in mind that the consumer has been quite unlevered or delevered through this whole COVID situation. So, you know, although there are concerns and then parsing that data a bit further, you look at older and lower income uh, individuals, you would always expect those constituents to be a bit more stretched when it comes to inflationary pressure. So all that being said, a healthy market in tow, if you look at emerging markets, you're starting to see some rates tick up there, which is going to lead to influx in capital into the domestic market. So I think when you look at the global picture matched with what we're seeing from uh, consumer spending traits, I would be hesitant to, to try to short this market and break trend despite the, the negative sentiment reading. No one is worried, Steve Grosso. No one. No. Look the other way, say the other three. What do you say? I was actually hoping I'd be the only one to say that I wasn't worried about it. But it looks like everyone, I, I have a consensus. bunch of company here. So, That's consensus. You know, it, you know it's, it's true. But historically, the, uh, a, a very blown out high reading on consumer sentiment is indicative of actual recession. Because when that peaks, you always have inflation that follows. So to Jeff's point, doesn't this help out with the supply chain woes or inflation concerns? I would say yes, it does. So if you're worried about the market, don't be on this. There's plenty of other things to be worried about with the market, uh, thinking about it peaking or whatnot. But to Bonowin's point, there's too much money that was shoved down the, uh, the consumer's throats during this whole pandemic to make sure they didn't fail. So for us to worry about consumer sentiment now, I think it's probably too obvious when you look at that chart to think, oh my God, the market's going to fall out of bed now. It's counterintuitive, but when the consumer sentiment bottoms like this or or hits rock bottom, it actually signifies a boom in the economy that's coming. 
Uh, contrarian indicator. Okay, well, a key test here will be retail earnings. They start next week. It is a huge slate of retail earnings, in fact, coming our way. So which name should you bet on? Let's find out with a good old-fashioned game of shop it or drop it. And, of course, the ground rules, simple. If a trader likes the stock, they shop it. If a trader does not like a stock, they drop it. So let's get started. Walmart reporting results on Tuesday. Nadine, shop it or drop it? I'm going to shop it. You know, they have the potential to beat on same-store sales, and it's one of the best logistics operators out there. And then you can see their price gaps there with other retailer and grocers. They're looking more attractive. So our proprietary, excuse me, low end of our trading range is 147.50, and the high end is 150.30. So it's right now trading in the mid-range, which almost a four-to-one upside. I like those odds. And it's still trading in a momentum way for short-term, intermediate-term. And there's a huge implied volatility premium on it. So people have been paying for protection on this name. So I like the asymmetry in the setup for fundamental and technical reasons. Steve. I'm going to say uh, drop this one. And uh, based uh, predominantly on technicals, if you go back to August, this is right where the stock failed. This is actually a, a, a textbook double top. It looks like the chart wants to go lower. What I'm concerned with is that most companies uh, raised wages during the pandemic to get workers back. I, I like the sign-on bonuses. I think Walmart's always worried about raising wages. For me, I think they're going to ha- be a little bit long in the tooth on the expense side. I don't disagree with what Nadine said, but the technical setup is for a drop in the stock. All right, next up, Home Depot also reporting on Tuesday. So, Bono in, shop it or drop it? Uh, I'm shopping this one. Um, so, I, I understand the concern uh, you know, around housing. We just spoke about inflationary pressures. I would say, to me, what is very idiosyncratic about the housing market is that you're seeing these inflation pressures across, across the various segments. The most importantly, I would the most important I would argue is actually uh, housing supply. So for me, that that sets up constructively in terms of reinvestment in one's home, whether it is to resale or to refinance. Being that inflationary pressures will lead to an increased pressure to refinance. All those things to me bode well for um, home improvement and names like Home Depot. Jeff Mills, what do you say? Shop it or drop it. I'm going to drop this one. We like to space longer term. We've been lows for a really long time. I just think the bar is kind of high going into earnings. The stock's up 14% over the past month. And I know Carter's talked about this with stocks like Tesla. But it's interesting, if you look at the price of Home Depot, big spike sideways to down, big spike sideways to down. That's sort of where we are right now. We've had that big spike. So my guess is we're sideways to down from here, at least in the near term. And I think we're past the peak for home improvement demand. I think about some of the recent news, um, Zillow kind of getting out of the home flipping business, uh, existing home sales permits coming off the boil. And I know we've talked about this before, but I think you're going to have this goods to services spending transition. I don't think that bodes particularly well for Home Depot. It's gotten a little bit rich versus Lowe's as well, so drop it. All right, Petco, those are out. The earnings are out Thursday. Steve, shop it or drop it. So this is another one. I'm going to be a shopper of this one. And I think, obviously, the the known thing is that during the pandemic, people people rescued animals and they bought animals. And when you look at this, this is a perfect technical setup. It's sitting right at its 50% retracement from the recent or this year highs to the this year lows. So I would be a shopper of Petco. 
Bonwin, what do you say about Wolf? Ticker, that is. Uh, I'm on the other side. I, I'm dropping this one. Um, so a little, a little too much bark, not much bite. Um, I think, uh, for one, the, the trend that Steve mentioned, um, there was kind of a real boom in terms of spending, consumer spending around uh, pets, rescue animals, new um, additions to family, things of that nature. And I just don't think that persists post-COVID. Um, and then you look at the likes of, of, of a Chewy, and granted it trades at a, a multiple that's not even in the same stratosphere. But they've done a tremendous job in terms of like their online presence. And so when I look at, at Petco and their, and their setup and what they're trying to do, the move into veterinary, the move into online, I just think it's a bit of a crowded space. I'm not sure the growth is really there. Uh, I'm dropping this one. All right. Finally, TJX out with numbers on Wednesday. So Jeff, shop it or drop it. So I'm going to drop this one. I still think it's a little expensive relative to history, even though the P's come way down. And, and for me, it is an inflation-driven story, thinking about the consumer confidence numbers today. We've talked about this before as well, but higher fuel costs, things of that nature, definitely more impactful for the lower end. So I'm shying away from brands like this. Nadine, how about you? I'm going to shop this one. Indications in October that apparel sales have been pretty strong. They have good offerings for price-sensitive consumers. And when we look at our risk range, it's not as juicy as the other names we talked about. It's pretty much a fair fight, up and down 5%. But it's got a big implied volatility premium. So on the net-net, I'd shop it. All right. We've got an after-hours alert here on Dollar Trees. Shares a jumping post close. Let's get to Contessa Brewer for the details. Contessa. Hey, Melissa, activist investor Mantle Ridge has taken a 5.7% stake, CNBC has learned, worth $1.8 billion in Dollar Tree. Uh, Mantle Ridge is apparently planning to push actions to overhaul Dollar Tree, thinking that the discount retailer could boost its underperforming shares if it can make improvements to the family dollar chain and its pricing strategy. Uh, um, and so we'll keep an eye on that. But you can see there in after hours, Dollar Tree jumping three and a third percent. All right, Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer, Jeff Mills, I'm not sure if you're a fan of Dollar Tree, but <laughs> what do you think of this? I just pulled the chart up here. You know, it's, it's sort of in no man's land, kind of trading mm. sideways for the better part of a year, if not longer. So you've had that top range at about 119. You're getting close to that. And to my comments about TJX, you think about Dollar Tree, TJX, retail in that space, I'm not particularly a fan of right now just because of the headwinds for that lower end consumer. All right. Coming up at the big breakup, J&J headed for a split. Will the move unlock real value or is this just one giant Band-Aid? Plus, the pot trade on fire this week. Cannabis stocks soaring. We'll tell you how our traders are playing this rally. Stay with us. Much more Fast Money right after this. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another big breakup on Wall Street. Shares of Johnson & Johnson rising more than a percent today after the company announced it is spinning off its consumer health business. Let's get to Meg Terrell, who's got all the details. Hey, Meg. Hey, Melissa, this had been talked about for a long time, but now it is actually happening. The $15 billion business will be separated into a separate publicly traded company within the next two years. Uh, that leaves a $77 billion business in the pharmaceuticals and medical devices companies. Of course, these consumer health brands are some of the best known for J&J, brands like Band-Aid, Tylenol, and Listerine. Uh, CEO Alex Gorsky joined Squawk Box this morning to talk about the reasons behind this uh, separation. Here's what he said. Where our pharma and our medical device business tends to be much more of a business-to-business business relationship in the way that we work through other intermediaries, you know, compared to the consumer business. And most importantly, where we see things going into the future, we feel that now is the right time to make this kind of a move. Uh, and again, ultimately, it's going to allow us to reach more patients, more consumers, have more innovation, and execute in a much more focused way. So analysts generally pretty positive on this uh, plan. And if you look at the projected sales growth for each of these separate businesses, consumers expected to grow about three and a half percent annually over the next five years by sales. Uh, pharma and medical devices put together just less than six percent. So that is obviously a faster growing business. These are projections from Wells Fargo. So Mel, the stock this morning when the deal was first announced or the plan was first announced was up almost four percent. So it settled down uh, to a fairly muted one percent or so at the end of the day. Mel? All right, Meg, thanks. Meg Terrell. Johnson Johnson, not the only company heading to Splitsville. Both GE and Toshiba also announced plans to break up their businesses this week. So what does the move mean for these companies? And are we really unlocking value? Because once upon a time, Johnson Johnson was in fact constructed and built such that the consumer business helped um, provide a steady cash flow to fund the, the riskier side of the business, which was pharma, Steve. And so now all of a sudden we're undoing that. Yeah, it's, it's all cyclical, I think, you know, to your point. But what I don't like about it is that it sets up for good stock, bad stock. And this happens all the time when, when companies break up. What they're going for split up. What they're going for is a higher valuation. But that also means that the, that the, the lower valuation one is left standing alone with nothing to pull that average up. So I'm not a big fan of this, but... To your point, I mean, there's so many things that we can look about, look about with the obvious, which is uh, Facebook uh, spinning out, potentially being forced to spin out or break up. Google with YouTube, uh, Elon Musk's Tesla with SpaceX. There's so many different things you can do, but those guys, those companies probably wouldn't do it on their own because they want to keep that higher multiple. So I do understand why there'd be a knee-jerk reaction to buy Johnson & Johnson off this headline news. But I think it doesn't make sense for it longer term. To Steve's point, Nadine, I mean, the consumer business, if you think about a lot of the brands, those are brands that actually face enormous competition, not just from other name brands, but so many in-house brands competing in the same space at this point. I'm thinking of, of Amazon, for instance. They've got a generic or in-house version of everything under the sun at this point. <laughs> You're right, Mel. And I used to work in an activist shop, and there's a lot of wood to chop when companies split. And we actually don't even have a lot of details here. So you've got human beings, employees concerned about the unknown. Do they stay? Do they leave? 
You've got technological changes, financial and other shared systems that have to get broken apart, supply chains, distribution channels. I mean, there's so many things that have to go get figured out, right? And so it's really hard to translate what you put on a piece of paper to reality. And that's set up in the time frame. Eight to 24 months is forever for most investors. It doesn't mean it's not worth it. The shrink to grow or split to highlight strategies can be fruitful for shareholders over time. And, but I think the true beneficiaries here are Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan. So if you're going to play something, you know, I think that that's who you play because they're going to be making money on the deal terms here. They made money putting them together. They'll make money breaking them apart. That's for sure. Up next, That's right. <laughs> blazing higher pot stocks and rally mode. And next week could be a major moment of truth for this trade. We will explain. You're watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ. Back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Pot Stocks. Smoking hot today. The Pot X Cannabis ETF surging almost 9%. And check out these big moves. Terrasen, Curaleaf, Canopy all rallying more than 10%. Bonowin, you are looking at these big moves today. Uh, I was. So I, I really think the moves higher are really underscored by two things. I think one, you look at the Altria news, how, how they possibly may be considering buying the, the balance of Kronos. I think anytime you have a multinational conglomerate looking to uh, get more leverage to the space. I think that bodes well for the secular trend. And then possibly, possibly more importantly, on the legislative front, um, a possible proposal of uh, at least the, the beginning steps to legalize marijuana on a federal level. I think um, that definitely is what everyone's been waiting for. Clearly, there's been some push and pull between state and federal legislation. And I think a step in the positive direction definitely a uh, high tide lifts all boats as it pertains to um, cannabis stocks. There is an expectation that the South Carolina congressperson who has been working on this bill is going to unveil it on Monday, Nadine, and the stocks we saw rally across the board all week long. So is there more <laughs> in this trade despite this rally? I think there is. So, yes, you're right. Nancy Mace is going to be talking about it Monday afternoon, and we're going to be looking to see are there signs of a safe banking act connected to it. But we really think it's going to be up to Schumer, so we're going to be looking for his response. There's lots of different levels of, of why he might be interested in supporting it. But I want to give a shout-out to Tim Seymour's uh, ETF, up 11% this week. So good trade. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Steve Grasso. Rivian. I'm waiting for uh, another entry to get in the rest of my position. Rivian, higher prices next week. Nadine Terman. MasterCard had an explosive analyst day this week, and we think there's a lot more to come. Bono and Eisen. Blackstone, ticker BX. I think this is a financial services company that has done well across rate regimes. BX. Jeff Mills. PayPal, I think you buy it here. It's back to support at that 2020 breakout level. I think it's been beat up enough. All right, that does it for us for Fast Money this week, but do not go anywhere. Options Action is up next. on the horizon for financial markets. 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.